I'm having my one! Yes, listener, episode eight is our board games Halloween special. Joined as always by Neil, the Count. Hello! Ah, 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 ah. I'm joined tonight by the werewolf, Tom. Hello! No, not the Scooby Doo ghost. <laughs> it's the best I can do. I haven't watched Twilight. We've just finished playing Last Night on Earth, which we'll be sharing our thoughts about shortly talk about what else we've been playing this week, look at an eagerly awaited new release, have a chat through the current BGG hotness, we have a secret bonus discussion, and our main topic where we share our top three Halloween-themed games. So let's do this. Well, we've just had a game of Last Night on Earth. Neil, why don't you tell us about this game? Yeah, so this is a game from 2007, designed by Jason C. Hill uh, and produced by Flying Frog. Uh, Last Night on Earth recreates a classic zombie horror movie where two to six players take on the roles of either the zombies or some of the heroic townsfolk destined to try and save the day against the relentless zombie horde. Fighting in the hero's corner, one to four players take on the role of four heroic townsfolk, each with their own starting equipment, personality traits, special abilities and stats. There's eight to choose from in the core game, but this is a game with plenty of expansions, uh, so you're never short of choices. The zombie horde can be controlled by one player in a two to five player game or two players in a six player game, and they basically split the horde between them. Uh, Each game of Last Night on Earth is presented with a specific scenario which lays the scene Uh, which will unfold for the players. Our scenario this evening was called Escape in the Truck. And in this scenario, the heroes had to race against time to explore the nearby barns and buildings to find keys and enough gasoline to get the banged up old truck in the middle of town working and use this to get at least two of the heroes out of town. If the heroes aren't able to escape the town by sunup, then the zombies win. Um, A game of Last Night on Earth consists of a number of turns set out in the scenario which represent the time until sunrise. And in each turn, the zombie player activates first, followed by the four heroes who may act in any order. Uh, Each side has a deck of cards, which grants actions and events for both sides, as well as scenario items, additional townsfolk and gear and weapons for the hero deck. On your turn, you get to move your hero, make ranged attacks, make melee attacks, or you can forego your movement to search a building you're in. Uh, The heroes are limited, but the zombie horde keeps on growing and growing until the heroes can either make their escape or become overrun. So in tonight's scenario, I played as the zombies, whereas Paul and Tom uh, ran the heroes, controlling two each. Chaps, would you like to do the honours and tell the listeners how you got on? We smashed it. Yeah. Absolutely (laughs) smashed it. Yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they didn't look like it though. And you know, I kept joking all the way through. I say it's easy, easy this game. But there were definitely times where there suddenly seemed to be so many zombies on the board that I wasn't so confident about how well we were going to do. Um it, it was an interesting one, right? That the 
is that we had anticipated that in our game it just seemed like the way that Neil you were playing the zombies as they were all crowding around that central truck you know nice and thematic we managed to survive long enough we got all the kit that we needed and now we're going to have this massive face off um with the the zombie hordes um but then just like in Shaun of the Dead then uh, the the army turned up and just uh, Wallops all of the uh, uh, the zombies. Not actually in this game, but all the zombies due to a card that was played had uh, disappeared, and we had a relatively easy time then getting to the uh, getting to the truck. Yeah, it was a little bit anticlimactic in the end, wasn't it? It was a real shame. There was basically a card that 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 said that you know thematically the zombies are rotting away, um, and this was you know I'd largely had you know kind of maxed out my zombies on the board um, throughout the whole game, and then just as you guys were ready to escape. You kind of had one round where you killed a few zombies. Yeah. Um, then played this card where it was I had to just immediately lose D6 zombies. And of course I rolled a six. Um, and then at the start of the <laughs> following round, there, there's like a, a mechanic for the zombies where you you roll two dice. And if you roll a number higher than the number of zombies on the board, then you get to spawn additional ones. So I think I only had five zombies left on the board at that point. Uh, and of course, I rolled a four. So we didn't get any reinforcements. And it was going to be hard work for you anyway at that point, just clearing them all out, um, which was a bit of a shame, actually. It's sort of one of those things that when we were playing it, they almost wondered. Yeah, do you know maybe we should have just dumped that card for the sake of uh, a more entertaining finish to the game maybe we should have just dumped that and and had the the end of the game that we wanted yeah and so a lot of the game is played uh, through playing through a randomized deck um for both heroes and zombies you've got you've got your own decks and there are a lot of cards that are automatic things happen either good for you or bad for you um, but it kind of randomizes the game, doesn't it? It, it allows for, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, an amount of chance to to occur, along with dice rolls, which I think all of us tonight, there were some shocking dice rolls at, at times. <laughs> but that's all time. right when it's shared out. It's fine. It's not too bad. I felt like mine were consistently fairly good, which kind of then justifies losing six zombies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you... you maxed out your zombies almost right from the start right so right and it's kind of and and you know i guess i guess one of the the biggest critiques of the game is that sometimes there is just a bit of churning through the deck so like you guys found your scenario search items really 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 quickly Hmm. which is also you know a big thing and you could play like every single aspect of that game could remain the same for 10 games straight but it's Hmm. going to just be like it's going to be different depending on how that deck is shuffled, and and a lot of like that would put a lot of people off, right? Yeah, we did get lucky with that for sure, and you know we we had then a little um, downward turn in in our luck in that we then lost the character, uh, the character was killed who was carrying all of it, but then we had picked up enough other equipment to be able to get that back relatively easily. So it, it didn't, I don't know what you thought, Paul, but it didn't feel like a massive challenge in what we were doing. Yeah, Neil and I have played this game an obscene amount of times. Um, you know, we'd sit up of an evening and just roll through all the scenarios, both playing heroes, both playing zombies, hmm. um, you know, which is brilliant. We had so much fun. But, but yeah, if the deck isn't shuffled in your favour, 
sometimes you just can't even get out the gates. Yin to yang, though, but it's still last night on Earth. The game is still amazing. It's it's so cinematic. It's it's just so much fun. I've got so much good memories that that it just it's all going to outweigh any negatives for me. So so you're you're talking about that and and how good it is. Yet there are other very very similar games out there on the market but mm-hmm. don't pique our interest in the same way i mean neil do you want to talk about some of those maybe i don't i don't know how many are, are too similar i know that zombie side is a thing dead of winter dead yeah of winter. Dead, of, dead of winter that doesn't quite do it for me um what's the one with the martians well, that's that's the exact same company, the same producer, and that just didn't quite. I don't know. It's just a case of if you if you got the choice of playing one or the other, I'd just rather stick with the zombie theme than the Martian theme. Yeah. So, is it purely the theme that then does it for you? Because, you know, as we've discussed, there are a couple of kind of similar games out. There. So, so let me justify then the place of affection that this comes from by my recollection of board games i'd never played anything where there was like oh you could be different characters and you can get weapons you can like you can give that character weapons and items and they've all got little abilities and stats and you know i'd never played anything like it and that's why i think this was such an immediate hit for me you know and i think i think you can tell in a lot of more modern games they've addressed a lot of the concerns mm. that you know that that people would probably have with this so i know for a fact that there are going to be people that don't like the roll and move element yeah you know, and, and, and in more modern games they might have that your player's got a movement value of five and yours has got a movement value of four and blah 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 right because it just seems like a weird thing of okay this turn i managed to run six and now this term i've forgotten how to run right but again you know like you can i think if you pardon the pun you just roll with it the games that are of that <laughs> of that uh age tended to have this sort of mechanic right so it might be like oh, i rolled a one so you know as my guy right. went to run through the mud they slipped trip over, over and then they oh, yeah. yeah you know so. yeah it's, it's the imagination thing right yeah if it was me i'd have definitely tripped over (laughs) yeah wouldn't be running no yeah i waddled three (laughs) it's so much better right when you throw yourself into any of these sorts of games and just try and think about what this is um that we're actually doing here what what is the the story around it you know i'm not a massive uh sort of rpg and certainly not Dungeons and dragons sort of player but it's kind of going down that who's your character you're you're you're, you're role playing the character a little bit there right at least in your own mind and imagination so sure sure you can you know pick holes in it but actually it's, it's fine really isn't it yeah and and like neil you were definitely role playing the zombies by having just a horde milling around the the uh, the truck there have been some games especially when you get tooled up with good ranged weapons where if you just keep going for the survival like going for the heroes as the zombies you basically end up forming an orderly queue to get shot in right you know what i mean because it's easy it's easy for the heroes to deal with one or two zombies it's hard when they have to deal with a horde can we talk about the modular boards did you talk about the modular board in your no, so so the the game comes. So the core set comes with two central square pieces, 
And then I think the corset has maybe six or eight like L-shaped, not L-shaped, but, you know, corner pieces that then sit on top of the, the four corners of the square to make the full board. The scenario sometimes dictates, so like in one of the expansions that I had, you then had like a manor house in the middle of the board okay. uh, on one of the sides. So you can like, there's there's a really cool scenario where you largely set out like outbuildings and stuff. Um, and then you've all got to sit in the middle of the manor house and defend it. That's quite good fun. There are Sounds great. With, with some of like the the if you get the Timber Peak expansion and the forest one, mm. you could then get like imagine some kind of some two by two rectangle tiles. Mm-hmm. So now take your 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 central square, then your four corners, put another four corners on top of that, and then you can add like fill in the gaps. Okay, that becomes huge. You can make massive maps. There's an official soundtrack CD, Thomas. <laughs> How many times have we talked about like, you know, how how adding that in makes a difference, but you can buy a physical CD that's the official game soundtrack. I mean, that that kind of dates the game a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the, the official, the official cassette player. tape. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I hope I explained it well enough in the intro. There are four, you will always play with four hero characters. And then depending on the player count, you just divvy up between zombies and heroes, um, you know, kind of who gets what. And really, for me, three players is the absolute sweet spot for this game, because I tend to find uh, two players. That means that the hero is controlling all four hero uh, characters. And then I find it's easy to forget about your abilities and your stuff and what it does. Yeah. But that being said, I don't think it's too quarterbacky. I think that there's like very much like, okay, you have your turn, you roll your movement, you control your items, you do your thing. I think it can be a little bit prone to this thing that we call quarterbacking, which is when we've got, you know, somebody in the team who knows the game better or feels they know the game better anyway, um, who will sort of try and instruct other people often from a good place as to how to have their most optimum turn right and certainly that's one of the things that can be really dispiriting when you're playing a game is somebody who you know even if they're right tells you how to do your turn better and it's always going to be a little bit of a problem with with games like this i think you have to make quite a determined effort to not have that uh i think we're all quite good at it in that we try to we're just perhaps conscious of it as a thing and so we, we try not to do it too much but i did have that as a little little negative for me on this game as i think it could be very open like all games co-op games to to this sort of thing yeah and especially as i think when someone has played the game a lot and maybe knows both decks of cards yeah. a little bit better and, and things like that and you say oh, well, i might not want to do this or yeah. but but also i think it's about a balance because I think it's nice for for the heroes to communicate and to yes. kind of say, right, I think I want to do this. And one of the things that I do like about this game and others that we may mention later is it does have a quite a good crescendo in that you have a countdown basically on how long, how many terms you've got left to be able to do it. And the sun track it's called, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, where you have a set number of turns that are then being counted down. And so you, it feels like you've got all the time in the world to start with and you're pottering around and fighting off the odd zombie and collecting some stuff. And then uh, suddenly crap, you've only got three turns to go and you know, you need to use one of those to, uh, to fill up the, the, truck or whatever as it was in this case um i do like a game that sort of builds to that you know again very cinematic end to your your little movie that you're acting out there yeah this game's very much got the feel of a 90s zombie 
zombie film, hasn't it? Through, as you say, the way it counts down, but but also the artwork and the kind of text on the the board because you know some of the heroes you're playing with is is the cheerleader is the the quarterback and you know it kind of lends itself to that playing a zombie film the game it's so cinematic it is so memorable i've had so many incredible games of this where you can just you really feel like you are part of your own zombie movie it's brilliant so important questions um, and I'll be the first to put my hand up here. Who had their one? I think we all had multiple ones, but it'd been a while since we played, in yeah. my defence. I had the one thing uh, where I had two characters just lost track of where one was, uh, as in thought the one was the other one, and gave it the wrong items, and so needed to switch that around, and then we wanted to play in, in a slightly different order. So it was one hell of a one, but it was generally just one, I think. So I did have a one where I moved and... Uh, forgot to shoot my gun, but Neil Neil seemed very keen to allow me to have that one, and then have a card. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Gun. That was hilarious. Like, yeah, of course, have have your one, have it, and then wham, lose your gun. Right. So ultimately, the big question: um, scores on the doors, Neil. Oh, I don't think Tom's going to agree. I think I think the game that we played this evening showcased a few of the flaws. Um, I think if I went purely based on tonight's game, I might be going like a seven, but this is absolute minimum nine out of ten for me. It's certainly got lots of flaws, but it's my first favourite board game. Like, that's the first game that I've ever thought, this is my favourite board game. I love how cinematic it is. I love the zombie genre. I love playing as either side. Um, I wish I hadn't sold Timber Peak, uh, but I reckon I'm going to be picking up a copy of this again soon. So, yeah, 9 out of 10. Nostalgia value is massive. Though. So big. Yeah, Tom? So, it's funny, the score that you said. 5 out of 10! <laughs> no, I'm going to give it a 7. Uh, it's... Partly based on the game I've had tonight. I've played it far less than the, the new people. Um, but I think there are problems with it for me in that you can have this anticlimactic end as we did uh, just now. And you can be very reliant on the luck of the deck as to whether you have a good game or not. I think is the ha- there are some problems with that that we talked about have been addressed elsewhere. So um, I'm also just for me, I'm missing something on the theme. I never really was that massively into the zombie explosion of like 15 years ago didn't really ever get into walking dead so it doesn't there's nothing there that makes me uh, want to up the score for for those reasons but i you know it's it's seven is still good no seven is a good score um yeah for me i mean there is that big nostalgia value i do like it uh i am a bit tighter when it comes to handing nines out willy-nilly but i will be giving this 8.5 out of 10 So that's Last Night on Earth. Hopefully you survived that discussion. It's bonus content time. We've just played a zombie game and it's got us thinking. If the zombie apocalypse happened and you've got 30 minutes to arm yourselves with what you had at home, what would it be? So here are our top three weapons. Starting with you, Tom, why don't you give us your top three items and or weapons that you would take with you in the zombie apocalypse? So number three, golf clubs out in the shed, easily accessible. You've got multiple options in a single bag. If you want to hit that zombie head, 
far, far across the fairway, or if you're just looking to uh, knock it into uh, the sandpit, then you've uh, you've got all your options in one bag. Uh, next toolkit sitting behind me right now. It uh, there is quite a heavy spirit level in there. Um, <laughs> let's me also measure really importantly whether the kills are appropriate appropriately balanced or not. No one wants an unbalanced kill. And then finally, there's also a cork gun in there. So my thought was, you know, cork is very sticky. So get a good squeeze going on with that. And somebody's going to have a pretty inconvenient time trying to get that off. Those are my top three. Excellent. Thanks for that, Tom. Uh, Fully tooled up. Nice. (laughs) Neil, what are you going with? Uh, I'm going straight to the woodshed and I'm getting my twin hatchets out, which which sounds really, really good. But the reason I've got a second hatchet is because the first one was blunt as all hell. Um, and now the second one's blunt as all hell as well. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got two blunt hatchets and I'm not afraid to use them. Uh, I'm going uh, I'm going full Daryl, I'm afraid. I'm going straight out to the garage and I'm getting my motorbike uh, because we've all seen how traffic can back up in those zombie movies. True. So being, on, uh, being on the motorbike is going to be a big help and I'm taking uh, my uh, my rucksack and tent with me so that I can camp go. up in the woods. Although I reckon, to be fair, I reckon I'd probably... I reckon Guildford Cathedral's where I'd go. She's <laughs> on that big hill. So you got on top good, of the hill. you got a good vantage point, yeah. Okay, that brings me to me. Um, I really struggled with this, purely just because I've got a lot of tools and interesting <laughs> things in my shed. And... I've got a lot of weapons near <laughs> at hand. Uh, so, so I've gone sort of long range, close quarters and, and mid range for my weaponry. <laughs> you've got, got a catapult in there or something. Um, so, <laughs> so you're running anyone with the trebuchet, Noel? <laughs> is um, I've got a because uh, I wrote the brief and allowed a thirty-minute getting ready interval. Um, I've got a, a pole saw for long tree pruning, um, and essentially it's an extendable pole between two and four meters with a saw on the end that I'd probably take to my grinder and sharpen to a point. So I've got some sort of extendy spear for long-distance stabbing. So that would be my number three. At number two, I've got like a little hunting knife. And the reason why I thought that'd be good is it's got a nice pouch that clips onto your belt like an old man. So, you know, in those dire straits when the zombie's on top of you, you can reach for it and straight in the brains and and you'll be all right. I really debated uh, what to have for my number one. Do I go for my chainsaw? Yes. Uh, Do I go for my blowtorch and copious amounts of alcohol and maybe make some Molotovs and burn everyone down? I considered my nail gun, but unfortunately it needs to be connected to my compressor. And I didn't think wheeling that about the apocalypse would be uh, overly convenient. So what I've gone with is you don't see them very often now. Um, I'm actually sharing an image with uh, the boys as we speak is a box tool. So traditionally, this was used in the shipping industry for open, opening crates. Essentially, on a handle, one end you've got a hammer, the other end you've got an axe, and it's got a little crowbar bit. So that's going to help you break into buildings, and it's going to help you smash things and cut things. And I think that is going to be the ideal and the correct item to take with you during the zombie apocalypse. Why on earth do you have one of those? Yeah, I've got one of them. Why? Why not? All all that box, pallet box opening you do. Yeah. So it comes in handy. on my Christmas list this year. Do you just use it as a back scratcher? (laughs) (laughs) Back scratcher? With a bit of added jeopardy. (laughs) You might slice your arm off. (laughs) 
it's it's an amazing tool and it's also got a little nail puller in the middle as well um i don't know if you can make that out but best purchase i ever made for a psychopath wouldn't you, do you boys not immediately want one yes but i don't buy one because i'm not a psychopath while we were on the hammer thing <laughs> as well <laughs> um Michelle kind of despairs at me because I own more hammers than I do shoes. And by that, I don't mean pairs of shoes. I mean individual shoes. Oh, Oh, brilliant. So they are our weapons of choice. And remember, listener, be prepared because zombie apocalypse can't be any crazier than some of the stuff we've been through in these last few years. Satirical. Yeah. So we've all been playing other games this week and in no particular order. Tom, why don't you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. So Neil and I had a very interesting kind of learning game of Sekigahara, uh, which is a block war game set in feudal Japan, which is great. I think we'll probably do more to follow on this after we've had a proper go, but lots of, of interesting stuff about this um, that we'll come back to. Uh, Paul, we've been playing a bit of memoir on Board Game Arena, following up on what we were talking about last week. And you know it's perfectly okay but it's sort of nothing to write home about i I think something gets lost playing a game like that actually that with memoir it was i don't know it just it was just like a very 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 basic computer game the way it was played you know yeah and we were also playing it turn-based so Mm. not in real time and i think that had a a big impact while you waited for different retreat moves or cards to exactly But the script works fine. That's that BGA thing, right? It it, uh, it it sort of really guides you through one thing after another. Um, I think Days of Wonder themselves released a, a memoir app where you can play the first. There's certainly a good few scenarios for free, and that they've done a cracking job of that. It's yeah, I think that's they've, on their they've made it feel just like the board game, but they've yeah. added you know all the sound elements and stuff like that. Anyway, yeah, we should have a go at that. So then the main game I want to talk about is Scythe, the Rise of Fenris. This is from 2018. It's the expansion to the epic game Scythe, uh, which is one of my favourite games. It's for one to five players. And this is an eight-episode campaign set in Jamie Stegmaier and uh, Jakob Brozalski's diesel punk alternative reality world of 1920s Europe. There are obviously going to be a load of spoilers in this here. It's a... uh, a legacy style game uh, so i'm not going to uh, go too close to talking about the campaign itself but i will i will say uh it's perhaps obviously um you have to play a load of scythe in it so we're seven episodes in now and each of those episodes in the campaign uh, involve a normal game of scythe with some added spice to it so there'll be some different rules that you're playing or guides you different ways different components again i don't want to say too much about it as I said, it is one of those legacy campaign style games where you have a load of little boxes and components that you um, open as you're working through the campaign. You get to find out all the little goodies inside and components to add to the game. And I love Scythe. And I think I was, so, I was always going to enjoy The Rise of Fenris. But this campaign has lots of fun surprises. And so if you are a fan of Scythe, I'd really strongly recommend you, Virgo. What's the um, kind of replayability? Can you... Because some of the games that have come out recently have allowed you to then kind of reset those legacy style games or is it once it's done, you're done? I think it's, I would say it's average on that in that I think I would probably imagine I'd only want to play the campaign through a couple of times, maybe three times maximum. 
with different players um, because there are really nice little surprises as you go through it. Um, and there are there is some variety in the way in which you do that. So you, at certain points in the game, get to choose whichever player has won that previous campaign, generally speaking, sorry, the previous mission, will get to choose, you know, this is the direction that we're taking it. And so there are a couple of um, different avenues that you can end up taking it. And certainly in the last mission that we're getting to now, that that's really... Um, really uh, comes to the fore. I think um, you're very. Um, I think you're very lucky that um, that your wife likes this game because that's who you've primarily played it all with, right? Yeah, we played yeah. the whole thing, Jen and I. She really, really enjoys it. Because I'd, I'd, I'd love to play. Um, this is a campaign, but it just it, it just wouldn't happen. Eight games are the same thing with someone. Yeah, it is tough. It's taken us a long time to do. It. I looked at the. Uh, the times we played it and i think it took us a year to go from uh, mission six to seven but it's great that makes me feel better about clank legacy with louise then right it's (laughs) it's really 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 good so great to play that again and look neil we'll we'll maybe try and find a time that we could we could play it with the boys on wednesday night or something maybe I'd, i'd be up for doing it again there is also the ability to play each of the missions that you've got the eight missions you could play those individually as a game of scythe with some some different bits going on yeah nice excellent nice. thank you neil what have you been up to so uh yeah we had uh like tom said we had that little try of sekigahara we also started a proper playthrough of hammer of the scots uh we got sort of an hour and a half maybe two hours into it and and kind of paused and we'll pick it back up again but uh, it was going much better for the scots this time around um now that we've got a bit better of a feel for the game uh, we've been doing the usual Twilight Struggle on the app. Uh, I think I closed out a game against Paul uh, early, um, but my God, am I having a tough time of it against Tom at the moment? <laughs> I think I'm almost destined uh, to lose, but you never know with this game. It can turn around pretty quickly, so uh, certainly haven't given up. The game that I wanted to chat to you about is Horizon Zero Dawn, which I played with some friends on Monday. Um, some of you may be familiar with this as a computer game, and I know I've mentioned it once briefly on the podcast before, but a good friend of mine went all in on this on their Kickstarter pledge uh, and has got about 12 boxes full of stunning minis uh, and hours and hours and hours of mini campaign goodness. So uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is an arena combat game where up to four players play in competitive co-op fashion against five increasingly difficult waves of mechanical fantasy monsters. So each like each game is is, you know, one of these five um, five waves and they build up to a final encounter with the big bad boss that you get to choose. Uh, So currently we're working our way towards fighting a giant mechanical mole. Um, apologies I'm not really familiar with the lore of this computer game so I won't butcher it any further Uh, but yeah it's um, I really really enjoy the kind of theming of it Um, each player controls a champion um, and they get like a starting deck of cards each champion's got a race and a fighting style or specialization Um, that comes with their own little skill tree that you get to use and kind of level up between between games Um, as well as buying better and stronger equipment from like a, a shop in between rounds um, the deck of cards represents um, not only your attacks, so it might be that like you've got like a card that's like I'm going to do a backswing, which is really powerful. Or I might do like a you know a, 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 a massive hit, but some of them may also combo cards together. So play this card to get a move and a free attack or whatever. Blah blah blah. Um, they 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 stand as that, but there's these this deck of cards is also your health points. So there's a juggling act. 
um, as to once your once your deck of cards runs out, you faint and you lose all your victory points for for that particular game. So there is a, a rest mechanic where you can take cards from your discard pile back into your draw pile. So it's kind of got that like that that management that card management, but I didn't I don't find it to be as sterile as um, dare I. Uh, utter the word gloomhaven where i just kind of i don't know if i'm just playing gloomhaven wrong but i kind of feel that it's always you never really get to be heroic in gloomhaven because if you do all your heroic abilities in in the same scenario you're destined to lose because you'll run out of cards because you you know you discard them from the game whereas this doesn't quite feel like it you can it feels like you can be more heroic um the monsters operate mechanically but the ai in the game is pretty good um and there are like mini decks of cards for each monster so the you know whatever the monster is going to do on the next turn isn't always predictable um i really like that um but yeah i'm having a, i'm having a good time playing this it's quite low complexity it's like grab a character smash some monsters earn some points buy better stuff and rinse and repeat um and while the campaign's short each game can be played in sort of an hour hour and a half um so i guess you could do the whole thing you know in one long night or a couple of couple of nights as we're going to do uh, but it doesn't give the same boredom of that like open the door kill the baddie um and and do the thing so yeah definitely uh definitely recommend that i reckon you guys would, would enjoy it as well yeah cool nice thank you Who have we got left me okay so uh over the last couple of weeks i've uh had a nice game of stone age uh played my first game of ultimate werewolf which was interesting um i think i need to play it again to maybe get my head around it i bought it to play last halloween and Never got round to it and has just sat in the cupboard for the last year, so finally managed to get that out. Um, but the game I want to talk about is uh, one of Tom's favourites, is Discworld Ankh-Morpork. <laughs> um, it's set in Terry Pratchett's Discworld city of Ankh-Morpork, where, to quote the great author himself, curiosity not only killed the cat, but threw it in the river with weights tied to its feet. <laughs> um, it's a card play and area control game where each player has different objective to complete to win the game. Um, it can be quite a chaotic game. I know we spoke in tonight's game about how playing through a deck of cards and with a lot of random elements, sometimes things can't go your way. Um, Ank Morpok definitely takes this to a whole new level, and I think you kind of need to embrace it to get on with the game. Um, but I think that's what really lends charm to the game. Um, it's by Martin Wallace, who only makes good games, who's it's made... True. That is true. A Didn't lot. he do, uh, do what was uh, he did a game called Brass? If anyone's ever heard of that, yeah, Tom. Tom, I think you quite like Brass. Cracker. Yeah, so so that's the game I, I played with Neil, Tom, and my uni friend Reese, and uh, yeah, we 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 had a great time. I think uh, first time for Reese, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to win round Tom, and I think in the same way with Last Night on Earth, Neil and I just have a real. <laughs> nostalgic feel to the chaos and fun of this game let's let's just talk about it on another episode <laughs> <laughs> not um, tonight not tonight paul what i would say is if you do like the discworld ip this game sits very well with that so that's what we've been playing this week um and we'd love to hear what you've all been up to now we're going to have a quick look at New things that are coming out. And Tom, there's something that's caught your eye. Why didn't you tell us about it? Yes. So I wanted to talk about Undaunted Stalingrad. It's available from later this month, October. It's for two players and uh, from the designers, Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson. 
is another game from Osprey Games, who we've mentioned previously on this amazing good run of great games right now. The Endorted series has been around for a few years now, uh, and I think we've mentioned it on previous podcasts that we've played Undaunted Normandy a fair amount. It's a light tactical war game set in World War II where you're controlling a platoon of soldiers attempting to take an objective across a tile map. So far in the series, we've had Normandy, as I mentioned. There's been North Africa and a bigger reinforcements pack that's added to those two versions and done things like made a four-player game actually possible. Stalingrad, however, is where it all steps up a notch. The biggest thing that has got a lot of people excited is that in Undaunted Stalingrad, there is a campaign, meaning that as your group of soldiers progress through the missions, your men gain experience and the environment around you will change. Uh, And further to that, the missions that you undertake will change based on your previous progress. So you've done better on one uh, mission compared to another that will impact the setup for the next one is going to be like, which is incredible. It's getting a huge amount of press this right now. So it's a big build-up one of the, the prestige prestige launches for this year. Uh, I think it's probably going to be one of the most popular in demand games of, of late 2022. So very much look forward to giving it a go. And finally, if you think this sounds good, keep a close eye out in 2023 for the very intriguing Undaunted Battle of Britain, taking things to the skies. Excellent. Stalingrad looks so good and i was looking into it and it's played in the city of stalingrad if you've played the undaunted games you get tiles to lay out to build your map scenarios but there are hundreds of tiles in this and you can actually (laughs) lay them all out in one setting to play the whole map of stalingrad and you're just fighting in patches of this and what i like in a slightly nerdy way is there's that big table that you kind of mentioned that Mm. depending on how a scenario finishes you then look up where you're sat in your uh in your scenario to what part of that map you're building if you're paying yeah yeah just awesome they they've clearly put so much thought into the way it all comes together and all the different scenarios linked to each other. It looks really, really good. And it's great, right, to see somebody, again, just can't heap enough praise on Osprey Games at the moment, is that they're not just churning out another, 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 another. They go, you know, undaunted Pacific, undaunted uh, Italy. You know, they're not just doing another campaign in, in that era or another. They're trying to introduce new things. So the first one very focused on just two two platoons, fairly straightforward as I described um, a few minutes ago. But then in the North Africa one, they introduced new elements where it's a little bit more uh, long-range desert group, SAS kind of stuff against Italian airfields and, and that sort of thing. Then in uh, the reinforcements, they introduce armoured vehicles and I said this, additional player count that you can do i think maybe even a solo version of it and then again in stalingrad they're trying to do something else and bring a campaign into it which i think i've seen online that people have written for normandy like their own versions of it that you can just tack the different missions together and it creates a campaign for you which it sort of nominally does in the campaign book but there's no sort of interconnectivity between the missions Um, but stalingrad is is where that all changes and and you each get your own campaign book don't you so there's not Mm. just just one one book you're both reading from, one player has their book and that's got information that is only relevant to them and the other player just won't see that through the whole campaign. 
So that's Undaunted Stalingrad. Um, we'd encourage you to go out and get it, but please don't because you might buy the copy that we want to get. <laughs> Osprey, we're very, very happy to accept review copies. Just, uh, you know, send us three. Why not? One each. We now have our hotness from uh, the 16th of October, counting down from number 10. Tom. Yes, number 10 is a game... And that can never say right first time. So here goes. Heat pedal to the metal. I think I may have unwittingly called this a ripoff of Flamme Rouge in a previous episode. However, I'm now aware this is in fact the same designer. Asger Harding Granderud. However, this time it's being released by the game Juggernaut Days of Wonder. It got a lot of attention at the recent Essen gaming convention. Put simply, this is a hand management game where you play numbered cards and move your racing car forward the number on that card. Instead of exhaustion cards, as you would have had in Flamme Rouge, you've got overheating cards here. And out of the box, you seem to be able to put races together, uh, which you only got with the app for current version of Flamme Rouge, although as mentioned previously, they are uh, doing an expansion for that, for Flamme Rouge. Uh, there are a load of other little fun changes that I won't go into now, but uh, really do actually quite like the look of this. So it's now starting to get at least close to my wish list. Yeah, I mean, I think it it looks good. But as someone that owns Flamme Rouge, I think it does the same thing. And, yeah. you know, it, it does look good. I'd like to play it, but I don't think I need two of the same game. Yeah. Right. Number nine, John Company, second edition. This is by Whirly Gig Games uh, for one to six players. Uh, plays between an hour and a half to four hours. Uh, it's been funded through Kickstarter and is being delivered now. Um, I can't find it in the shops as yet, um, but um, Kickstarter pledges started around the £70 mark, so we're probably looking about there. The game finds you in the 18th century as the East India Trading Company power is beginning to grow. Uh, instead of growing corporations, you play as ambitious families trying to influence the company for not just wealth, but ultimately their own reputation. Um as a player, you won't be able to do this alone. You will need the help of other players through skillful negotiation and outright bribery. It's um, designed by uh, Cole Whirl, who is the guy that did Root, although right. this looks like a much more serious game. Um, you know, it's even got a little disclaimer on it that, you know, they really touch on some of the difficult issues that were going on at the time. And if you're not willing to get behind those then you might not be enjoying this game this looks interesting i kind of yeah i kind of feel like i'd be inclined to give this a shot but i think it's a fairly big outlay and i think you've got to play with the right group of people first a little bit of unconfirmed trivia you know how um so we're, we're going through a little bit of a root renaissance at the moment the reason why root is cutesy animals is because originally it was themed on vietnam did you guys hear about this really yeah no. And I think, Never, that they, I think that they deemed that the subject material was a little bit too close to the bone and they just rethemed it as cutesy animals. Really? That is 100% unconfirmed. I might be talking absolute trash right now, but that's um, that's what my mate Steve told me. Interesting. There's no, like, secret underground tunnels in route for creatures to pop out of. There is if you've got the Underworld expansion. <laughs> there you go. Okay, Tom, what have we got in number eight? All right, number eight, we've got Woodcraft. So this is a 2022 game 
for wonderful players from Ross Arnold and Vladimir Suchi and publisher Delicious Games. We're playing as elves uh, here in the woodland where you, as you can probably imagine, will be crafting wooden products uh, to build the best workshop. There's a fair bit of variability uh, for different players. Uh, this was just released to Essen, I believe. It's kind of play a card, get resources, build something kind of a fair. It's been in and around the hotness for a while now, so I guess there are a load of people who are interested in it, but it's just not one that jumps out at me right now. So so making things out of wood is one of my part-time hobbies, and which is why I have a lot of needless tools for the zombie apocalypse. Um, and when I saw that there was a woodcraft game, I was quite interested to see what's going on but yeah you're right it just it doesn't strike me as something i want to play so in at seven is endless winter paleo americans uh it's from fantasia games one to four players one to two hours and is on pre-order for about 45 pounds delivered we discussed this game a few episodes ago it's a worker placement deck builder game set at around 10,000 bce in the frozen North Americas. You're playing to control your tribe over multiple generations, migrating, settling lands, hunting, building, and establishing your cultural traditions. Uh, the game design and artwork, I think they look really good. They look amazing. And it's one game that's going straight onto my wish list. It, it could be the new worker placement game that we all want to play. Uh, that's good. All right, Tom, what we got at number six? Number six, ah, Nova. What more can we say about this game of zoo building? Probably nothing. We've not commented on it for a few weeks now, though. So as it is ever-present in the top ten, I suggest that if it's still in the top ten next week, we'll give you, dear listener, a proper rundown of it again uh, as we're gradually getting further and further away from the last episode where we actually did do a, a rundown of it. So uh, nothing more to say this week. Listen to previous episodes for details. Uh, if it's still around, we'll talk about it next time. Should we play it again? <laughs> you can. Let's know how you get on. It's just so long. It's so long. And we like a long game, but we it just do. doesn't go anywhere, does it? Nah. I don't know. I, I wonder, are we too critical about it? I don't know. No. Mm. Right, number five, Flamecraft. Uh, after glossing over the last game, let's do the same with this one. We have discussed it in the last uh, couple of episodes. Episode six and seven, we go into it in a bit more detail. Uh, if you like cutesy dragons, this is for you. Anyway, Tom, number four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, number four is ISS Vanguard. So it's another that we've spoken about a fair bit in the last few episodes. This is that space exploration adventure game from, from Awakened Realms. Again, I'm not going to comment much on this here, as we talked about in the previous episodes, uh, but it does look great. It would be awesome to give this a go at some point. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll check it out. The buzz on this is starting to get to me. There's a couple of people Incredible. on the... Um on the uh UK board game um trading in chat uh Facebook group and and the siren song is calling and I'm a bit worried because it's expensive. <laughs> it's so expensive actually, isn't it? You get binders. I know, but it's just gonna be another sleeping gods. Okay, number three, we have got revive. Uh it's by a Porter Games, one to four players. An hour and a half to two hours. 
I think about seventy pounds. It's it's been a difficult one for me. It's on pre-order for release next month, but at the moment I can't find it for anywhere on sale in the UK. Um, however, for our Norwegian listeners, this <laughs> one's for you. It is set in a post-apocalyptic world, five thousand years after the fall of civilization. It uses deck construction in this campaign game. It plays over five missions, and once complete, you'll have a full game to play. The main aim of the game is to explore the Catan-esque board and populate all of the ancient sites. All players will have asymmetric powers, as is very popular at the moment, and although it's not a cooperative game, there is no direct conflict in this. So those that don't like being picked on, this might be the game for you. Yeah, there's. I, I looked at this, I remember, a few episodes ago and thought that it did look really cool. Um, but then I had another look at it recently. I thought, uh, do you know, it, it, is, it, is it that good? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, it's essentially Catan with a skill tree, right? Yeah. Yeah, but the, like, I might be underselling it a little bit. There's some good apocalyptic world um, artwork going on here. It's It's okay. You know. Apocalyptic Catan with a skill tree and some pretty pictures. Yeah, there you go. Now you're selling it. Tom, number two. All right, number two is one that uh, I believe we may have spoken about before as so much of this uh, hotness has ended up like, actually, but it is an inter- interesting one for me. This is Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. It's a one to six player game out this year from Glenn Drover and Forbidden Games. Uh, last week we talked about Seven Wonders, of course, civilization building game. Uh, but this time you've got a board with a map of the ancient Mediterranean world in it. Uh, but we're broadly in the same vein here. Uh, this was a game on Kickstarter. It looks to be uh, completing its shipping, at least to the US currently. The author of this game is obviously quite a fan of the Civilization computer game series. Uh, this this game has sort of got. Uh, features that are just so reminiscent of it. You've got your leaders, you've got a tech tree, um, you're sort of mostly through playing cards, this, uh, and you're also then constructing buildings and wonders and uh, doing trade and and fighting your enemies and so on. You know, there's a lot actually here that I think looks quite interesting. And if you're somebody who would play the Civilization computer game, I think that would be one that would be worth looking out for. The reason why I think this is currently here on the hotness so high is there is an expansion out for this uh on kickstarter right now which is called the wars and disasters uh expansion and it just has a load more content but uh but the, that has caused the main game to to jump to the top of the list could probably combine with the fact that people are receiving their copies and it looks it looks nice doesn't it you know the board looks good that's cool there's lots of you know, nice minis that I think really will add to the thematic element of the game, aren't they? Yeah, I think it, you could end up having a really cool-looking board here. Yeah, and I've looked at some of the sort of uh, fan pictures where they painted up some of the minis, and they look amazing. You know, it really adds to it. Although, A, I don't think my painting skills are that good, and B, I don't think I'd get around to painting them in the first place. But... Just the thought of having nice painted things is always sends a nice warm feeling deep in the gut, doesn't it? Finally, in at number one is The Wolves. This is by Pandasaurus Games, two to five players, 75 minute playtime, and you can have this delivered at the end of the month for £45. It is a pack building strategy game as you look to expand and create the largest pack of wolves 
by claiming territory, recruiting lone wolves and hunting. The action selection mechanism is decided by using double-sided terrain tiles. Um, and I think this is quite a nice little feature of the game because, because they're double-sided, whatever you pick for the first turn, you then have to flip them and then do the other side for your second turn. So there is a good bit of planning in there. Um, scoring's also in a nice way is calculated uh, Euro game style point system, but at three set points during the game. So there's a nice strategy of when to push your luck and expand your pack, but don't spread yourself too thin or it'll come crashing down just like the Roman Empire. I showed this to my daughter who's kind of obsessed with wolves at the moment. Um, and we both agree the artwork looks great on this. Um, so hopefully it should be an easy sell to play in the Otter household. Yeah, I don't I think anything that's kind of broadly in these walls just feels a bit ugh, kind of twilight teenage girl tedious for me. I'm not interested really, I'm afraid. Sorry. However, my twilighty teenage girl seems quite keen to play. We'll love it. We'll love it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's this week's hotness, and we'll be back next time with some new and hopefully interesting games. <laughs> Okay, listener, time for our spooky topic. These games are the ones with ghosts, ghoulies, and other assorted attributes that go bump in the night. Now, we don't play a huge amount of these games, and there are loads out there, but this is what make our top three. Neil, kick us off with your number three. Oh, this is controversial, because as a board game, it's absolutely rubbish, but... <laughs> <laughs> in at three... Atmosphere. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Yep. So I reckon mechanically it would probably be almost unplayable right now, but you have to pay homage to my childhood. And this is a classic. It's from 1991. I don't know if you guys remember, if you played it, Tom, but Paul and I had it and we played the death out of it. It was a race against the clock where you had to collect six keys before the, the, the grim gatekeeper ran you out of time. The game came with a VHS, a freaking VHS. I saw um, you often see this kicking around in charity shops for like three, four quid. Um, and I was like, I was horrified to come back in later life and found that they've now started releasing it with a DVD. Mm. Um, I think it's available on YouTube. Yes. Yeah, yeah you can watch the, the file on YouTube. So down to your charity shop, three quid, come home, load up the YouTube, off you go. Absolute garbage, but in 1991, when I was a child, it was excellent. <laughs> I'd also like to give an honourable mention, if I can, just because there was another old childhood game that was a little bit Halloween-y, and that was 13 Dead End Drive. That was uh, that was a real cracker as well. Maybe it's one for Friday night at the... Uh... We should play it on Friday night. That'd be a good idea. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was my number three. Have you seen how much it's going for, second hand? I know. I wish I'd kept hold of it. All thriller, no filler in my list. <laughs> okay, Tom, what have you got at number three? All right, I've got a game called Labyrinth, which is a kids' game, family game, ultimately. Um, and I think this broadly fits the theme in that it's, uh, you know, a, uh, a labyrinth full of all sorts of beasties. And the idea is that you have a board in front of you and you're an adventurer and you're trying to find these bits of treasure in uh, this uh, this labyrinth. And the board is made up of some fixed 
tiles like every other tile is fixed and the other ones are tiles that move and you can put you have a tile in hand and you can push it in and that pushes all of the little uh, tiles up one and changes the route of the map on those tiles are the the route through the maze as you put in the tiles it will change that route so it's a great little one for uh, a little bit of, of screening each other over but not too heavy and it's great for uh, kids to be doing that thing that they love doing and kind of working out the route through the maze and you can it's got a nice degree of difficulty in it that you can play with kids and adults in that the kids just have to try and find three things and the adults try and find six things kind of thing yeah yeah it's a little, a, bit, a little really, bit loose on the, the halloween thing i know but more my it's mind. a really popular one in our house do you know it okay great yeah 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 we we play it quite regularly in uh the lots house yeah brilliant game Paul, do you have a number three? I do. My number three um, is Nemesis. I think it fits in the Halloween theme. Um, I hope so, because it might be featuring in the <laughs> um, Well, maybe I won't say too much, but Nemesis is that semi-cooperative game where it's essentially aliens. Mm. Um, for those that are still considering buying Aliens Another Glorious Day in the Core, don't buy it by Nemesis. It's a much better Aliens game. Um, it's got a good level of complexity. There's a good level of not knowing what other people are doing for their missions. And especially when you get that hidden objectives and you're kind of playing against one another, it's a lot more fun, like I think, when you know people are like, yeah, that engine's working. And you have no idea. So you you just have to trust them, or if it's Neil, assume that they're lying, and then be surprised <laughs> when they are telling the truth. <laughs> I highly object to that. <laughs> I don't deserve that 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 label. So, so yeah, I'm number done. three for me is nice. Neil, number two. So number two for me is um again. You know, the, the remit is kind of horror or Halloween-y themed games. So yeah. two, for me, I've gone for Unfathomable. Okay. Uh, so based on the whole kind of HP Lovecraft um, kind of genre, I'm not the biggest Lovecraft fan, um, but I do think that this is quite a good, fun uh, re-implementation, effectively, of the Battlestar Galactica game that's out of print. Yeah. Uh, goes for silly cash on, uh, on Tinterweb. Oh, yeah. Um, we've played it once. I'd definitely love to play it again in person at the table. Again, it's got that 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 hidden traitor mechanism that that I adore because it's always Paul. Um this slot in at number two was was for me, it was between this and Nemesis. Um I felt that this was closer to the subject matter. In truth, I'd probably rather play Nemesis if I had a choice of the two, but I think we need to. I think we all kind of would probably score unfathomable somewhere between a seven and an eight. And I think if we played it again in person, I think that might even jump up a bit. I think there's more to it than we um, really got to. I think we had very much a learning game when we played, right? And there was a lot of interesting things in in there, I think. Um, I'm a little bit less keen on the hidden traitor uh, mechanic, but I, I still like them. Uh, but I would definitely be up for playing it again. Uh, there's there's all sorts of interesting uh, mechanics going on there. I think, um, and I like the you have like the, the 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 ship right and the 
what are they called the, the creatures from the deep that are gradually getting closer and encroaching on the ship and and you're sort of trying to fight them off at the same time as dealing with other stuff right yeah so. i am um, I, I like it but like i say it was between that or nemesis and i've gone from fathomable so mm-hmm. all right uh tom your number two yeah my number two is escape the dark castle Ooh. so this is a game that uh, we first encountered uh, at Tabletop Live in 2019, um, and we were really blown away with it. We talked about it in previous podcasts. It's just this really great little, basically sort of choose-your-adventure-style game that you are all a character, you are in a... Uh, you've just escaped from a, a prison cell in the Dark Castle, and you are then going through and fighting various different scenarios. Sorry, going through different scenarios, uh, potentially fighting some some that's kind of like skill tests, all done by rolling dice. You collectively roll the dice, and what you have on those the symbols that you roll there will enable you to defeat the, that particular enemy or that uh, uh, that challenge and then you get to the end of it which is so difficult <laughs> but you get to the end of it and you uh, you then have a, a boss to to defeat really great really simple it's a fantastic i think filler or palette cleanser that it still has the kind of horror theme to it i think dark castles sure you know? yeah yeah so that's my my number two escape uh, the dark castle yeah, I, I really like Escape the Dark Castle. Um, it didn't make my list, but um, it was definitely floating around there and is a game I've, I've played with the kids as well. They really mm-hmm. like it. It's, But it is oppressively hard. It's bloody difficult, isn't it? Yeah. But to the point where there's a genuine feeling of <laughs> success, like if you ever even just get into the final boss, if you can yeah. get that far, um, there's a real sort of feeling of success. And <clears throat> do you know what I really equate it to? Um, slightly bizarrely, is the like original Mario game. Okay. In the sense that, I don't know if you've ever played that old school first game. Yeah, like the Game Boy. Yeah. Like Mario, yeah. Getting all the way to Bowser at level nine is just really difficult. And invariably, about halfway through, you're going to die. You're going to run out of lives, and that's it. It's all going to be over. It has a very arcadey feel. I would agree with that. Yeah. But but you immediately just want to get back into it and have a go again. Yeah, yeah. Another pro, like how many times have we said these words? But you can just give someone uh, a character card and a pencil and a piece of paper and say, "Don't worry, it'll make sense as we go." Yeah, yeah. zero yeah. to each. Yeah, big. However, fans. rolling dice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn those fake cubes. Uh Paul, what have you got as your, your number two? Thanks, Paul. Um, for my number two, I picked Zombie Kids Evolution. It's something uh we're back on the kids' games. It's something I've mentioned a few times on the podcast before. Um, it's a legacy style game aimed at kids. Um, you go around, it's a really simple kind of mechanic where you're moving students around a school trying to kill zombies padlock the gates to lock yourself in and protect yourself but there's nice little unlocks um you can upgrade your characters as you go through this like legacy game you can upgrade the zombies to make the game a bit harder Uh, for the kids there's little sticker trackers that you know let you know where you've got along and i think it ticks a lot of boxes we've played it loads we're about maybe three quarters of the way through the campaign but it's designed in such a simple way that actually if you just wanted to play the 
quick original no upgrades nothing it it does that nicely mm-hmm. so yeah it's a really popular one um elijah especially loves it and i think anyone that's got kids that are six seven or up you know get get this game out you can play play through in 15 20 minutes max i think this is a really interesting one right and it's it's really worth shouting out because you can do that you if your kids are in any way kind of interested in that more spooky or horror element to it or zombies you can play those games whereas if you look at something like dead of winter or what we played last night on earth other games like that those are quite often have quite strong adult themes in them yeah and they're just in no way going to be suitable for kids who are younger than teenagers really um so it it allows them to engage with that genre of game so i think it's a great one and and the artwork's really good obviously you know it's aimed at kids but really kid friendly you know if you ever played plants v zombies on the app right the zombies look like though you know they're cartoony but they're still ghoulish enough that that they they work nicely. Yeah, um, yeah. There's also a zombie teens evolution, which is aimed at a slightly older okay. audience. I think it's very similar to this game, but steps up the complexity and things. I've not played it. I can't can't rate it for that. But you know, as as uh, especially my little one gets older, once we play through this, I can see it uh, coming into our house at some point. Neil, number one. Number one, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Ah. Purely for how cinematic it is. I don't know if I'm contradicting myself here by saying I don't know if it would be the first game that I would pull off my shelf. Hmm. But if we were having a Halloween party or something like that, if we were having a Halloween-themed night, I think this would, this would hit the table. Yeah. The games aren't super long. Um I was chatting to, funnily enough, I was chatting to uh, some friends of mine who'd played it a couple of nights ago. Oh, yeah. And they had that kind of, that age-old problem with this game that, you know, they were unlucky with the rooms that they were in and the mm. haunt that was picked. And, you know, the, uh, the the person who was the baddie just, like, didn't stand a chance and the heroes won it in two turns. So that, you know, those kinds of games are a bit painful. And I think we kind of said the same thing when we were talking about Last Night on Earth, is that unfortunately it can be a bit hit and miss but when it's good it's so good it's so good when and it it is just yeah it's cinematic horror at its best and what i like about last night uh, not last night on earth what i like about betrayal is that due to the variety in horns it kind of also covers a bit of a variety of genres in the horror theme so there's like there's one with a werewolf, there's one with a Cthulhu monster, there's one with a poltergeist, there's one with evil twins. There's you know like it, it, it does feel like the definitive Halloween or horror game for me. There's so much in there that you can choose, but that therein is one of the problems that I have with it. Well, a couple. There's one that you've already said relates to last night on Earth. I think you can have a great game of this, but you can just get unlucky. And my experience is not always actually the shortest game. Um, you can sometimes get involved in a uh, a haunt or a mission that is not great. And uh, I know that um, this has been said before, or I believe it's been said before, that there are, I think, 30, 40 missions in that. 50. I believe it's 50. It's 50 in Betrayal uh, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, which is the one that I've actually got. Okay. So 
you got 50 and I've done quite a few of them. And I think I've probably played, I would say maybe two, three good ones. And then I would say two, three bad ones. So instead of doing 50, do 10 that are awesome. You know, I think it's going to be a hard sell if there's only 10 missions in the whole book. Well, 25, and 25, you know, sure. But I also think that a lot of the reason, like a lot of the times where a mission can be scuppered, if it's like you've got to get to the sacrificial chamber, which happens to be in like the master bedroom, completely like oh, the map, right? You're like, oh, sweet, I just pulled the master bedroom out just now. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but or conversely, the, the complete opposite side of the map. But even if you had only 10 wicked missions, you might still get that problem. Yes, it's true. But it, and it's just like we were describing for last night on Earth, just as you say, you could get lucky as we did and very quickly draw out the gasoline and the keys from the, the items deck right in that game. And it's a very similar kind of thing. I also think that there's a lot of people out there who just don't care about that random chance element and just no. have a blast playing it. Yeah, I'm just too picky. I, I hear. <laughs> I think if you are kind of embracing it, and and actually the turning of the tiles and that sort of dungeon exploration in the game is Great. very good. It's it's very engaging, and I think it can really build a sense of tension, a sense of atmosphere as you're trying to to explore it yeah i think it's a great choice to say and i imagine it's going to be at the top of a lot of people's um halloween board game lists it does have a little issue with player elimination i have had a game i only remember one but one game that sits in my mind of that one where i unfortunately had really bad luck and the monster spawned right next to me i died and then I was sat out waiting for everyone else to finish the game for 45 minutes. Like there is nothing worse than a game where you have to sit out. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if we talk about a lot about mechanics and how things work, but player elimination on a game that is longer than about 15 minutes is just the worst experience. But don't get me wrong. I agree. It's a, a cracking choice and had some great games. Of it. Yeah. Okay, Tom, what is so, your... Talking of player elimination, mine is a, a game that also features this. <laughs> so, Neil, now you can weigh in on mine. Uh, mine is Nemesis. Hey, Nemesis, yeah. <laughs> Nemesis is one of the best games I have played in the last few years. Paul's already spoken about it, what it is. I actually think you, you described it, Paul, as a good level of complexity. I think it, it's a really difficult game, this. to Sorry, let, let's just clarify. When I said like a good level of complexity i'm i'm also talking about just there's enough going on in the game oh, I to see. keep you yeah. you know yeah the game's really difficult but the the you know maybe i'm just trying to skim through my notes too quickly but how hard the the game is to pick up it's, yeah. it's not an easy game it's not a hard game it, it just i understand yeah it's, it's quite what you're actually doing is fairly simple isn't it but i think it's one of the most challenging games I've ever played. You can get again a little bit lucky with what happens in that and have easier sessions of it. But it's so cinematic. We think back to one of that fantastic starting film in the Aliens, Aliens franchise, Alien. No question that's a horror film, right? Yeah. And this board game just captures it so well. And it just feels so cinematic. All of the moments that we've all seen in these films that 
trying to roll dice and to shoot these aliens and just missing again and again and again. And that's the alien kind of jumping from one side to the other. The bullets are pinging off and you have your last bullet and then just you, you just get it and just manage to uh, to kill it. But at that moment, it gives you a swipe and you get infected and you have to you know then deal with that. And the, it has that countdown element we were talking about with last uh, Night on Earth as well that you have a set number of terms to be able to complete the mission. It's so good. I could talk about that game for an hour and a half. It's so good, Nemesis. It is absolutely my number one Halloween game. It is brilliant, and it is hard, but it's got that kind of escape the dark castle hard. You know you're going to die. It's just a case <laughs> of how long you can hang on for. But there's a, there's a lot of fun in between that, isn't there? Yeah, it is a long game as well. Though that's the thing that, as you say, Escape to Dark Castle has is that if you don't complete it, you could have end it and have another go within twenty five minutes at most. Whereas this, it is a long game, and it is something that, although I'd strongly recommend it, be prepared if you're going in to play this game. It's not a cheat game as well, but if you're going in to play it, you know you need to go in eyes open that it is a really difficult game, and it is going to take you a long time. It does have player elimination. We actually have tend to play it with house rules that find a way around, uh, at least so player elimination doesn't happen so early in the game. Um, but uh, it, it's, um, it, I guess it still has that problem of player, player elimination being a, a possibility. I agree with everything that you guys have said. But I, I don't actually, maybe, I might, maybe my memory is slightly skewed. I don't remember it being that difficult though. Like I've definitely... I've played, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 games of Escape the Dark Castle. I think I've won twice. Right. Whereas I, you know, frequently, I'd say that I'd say two-thirds of the time we we at least someone wins at Nemesis. Maybe it's because we've mostly played it co-op. There is a version yeah. where you play it semi-co-op when you have your little missions. We've only done that once. The vast majority of times that I played it, anyway, and we played it, I think, has been when we're doing a co-op where you, you kind, you, you're right. You'll sometimes get one person out, but then three other people have died, so it doesn't quite feel like the win. <laughs> well, maybe it's just maybe as it's I just mentioned because I've been the one that's you're been the one who escapes. Yeah, pretty good about it. <laughs> but yeah, Rachel. okay. Thank you, Tom. And my number one. Um, it was a real toss-up, and I actually wrote two lists, and it had a different number one for for both, depending on, actually, the game we played. So my option A, number one, was Betrayal at House on the Hill, as uh -huh. Niels mentioned, and my option B was Last Night on Earth. And after playing Last Night on Earth tonight, that makes my number one. My top... Halloweeny spooky horror game is last night. Just and I think a lot of it for me was that nostalgia nights of playing with Neil. I I think there's a lot of good in that game. It's sort of in the realm of a the level of complexity of a kind of beer and pretzels kind of game as well, isn't it? It is the sort of game you could play on a Friday night after a busy busy week and you're having a couple of beers with some some friends and playing the game. Like it's not a uh, a heavy concentration, you know, we're not, it's not Lisboa or something. So, Tom, honorable mention, yeah, honorable mention for a game I just played really recently, which is Hit Z Road, which is a Martin Wallace game, super simple zombie game that we played for the first time recently and was also quite difficult. 
I don't know whether a lot of these games are like this um, or maybe it's just the way we play them. But in this game, you it's card play um, and rolling a stack of dice to try and escape zombie hordes and just has a lot of good things about it. Uh, I maybe won't say anything more now, but uh, it, it's a great one. Delightful auction mechanic, which you enjoyed as well. An auction mechanic that I really got on with. So there are, I don't know about you guys, but there are a lot of games that probably should have made our lists. And I think, uh, certainly speaking for myself, it's, it, is, it isn't a genre that I play a huge amount of. So um, games that came up a lot when I was doing research, Mysterium, I just simply haven't played it. I don't know about you guys. I've played it and it's, again, it's one of those that I almost felt like we were playing it wrong and I just didn't get it. It seems to rely on mind reading, basically. Okay. Arkham Horror. Very uh, you and I played that briefly at a con. We weren't overly inspired, but I think I also, right. I was also sat next to a table watching someone play uh, Outer Rim. <laughs> I was yeah, like, oh, me man, too. The whole that. time, oh, the whole time, I was like, <laughs> what are they doing? What are they doing? That's more interesting. Yeah, we played we played it uh, at the Tabletop Live again, didn't we? And it it was alright, but it, it sort of we've talked about this in the past, and and maybe it's not the the moment to talk about our lack of love for Lovecraftian stuff. But the Arkham horror and anything that relates to the HP Lovecraft genre, Cthulhu, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, doesn't inspire any interest in the same way as I could talk about Nemesis for for ninety minutes. I'd happy, happily not talk about um, anything to do with that for many, many, many minutes. It's massive, though, isn't it? Because there's card yeah. games, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. various versions of board game. You know, Mansions of Madness is is basically in that uh, genre yeah. as well, right? We played Journeys of Middle-Earth and uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault, which are basically the same game, but just different genres and enjoyed them. Uh, in my research, someone made a good shout. Like, if if the original Alien movie is a horror, like you show Alien to kids of today, kids of today, <laughs> um, then then they're like, yeah, that's not a horror movie. Uh, in the same boat, you'll see where this is going. Jaws, you know, that uh... was a horror movie when that came out, and that that's that's a brilliant game. Again, quite cinematic. I wish I got that to the table more. Probably doesn't help that it's not even at my house at the moment, Ali. Um, but yeah, I, I put Jaws down on my list as well as a maybe. I think that's a good call. I really like that game, but struggled to get other people. I think maybe only you and I like it, Neil, um, because I struggled to get it to the table uh, with the same sort of enthusiasm. I get out and be you know talking really enthusiastically about this game. It's going to be so good. We're going to have a great time with it. And then at the end of the game, I'm like, yeah, yeah it was all right. You know, just didn't inspire that same um, excitement. I I bloody love that film so maybe that's again so much of where these things come from yeah and then the last one uh i would like to bring it up is dead of winter okay which uh gets a little bit of a joke in our group because i'm the one who always poo poos it. it that's got a great following as well it's just not for me i don't know it always just feels i think it, there are there are co-op games that suffer from quarterbacking and there are co-op games that, that that don't so much but i just always feel like one person's playing dead of winter um and so for me one of the the games i looked at that i haven't played that i'd really like to play is zombie side okay you yeah, guys looked on it. I, you know i think it maybe takes some of that last night on earth things that we criticize about being broken and just 
ramps the ramps it up a bit you know you've got a lot of upgrades and you know Mm -hmm. it seems looking at the videos it seems you know it gets quite frantic with all the stuff flying trying to kill and you get you and you know and i really like i really like the look of it i'd really love to give it a go it is expensive though right well i i think this is what's mini-tastic is that the thing it's just mini yeah, minis. yeah loads of minis so so tom is there anything that you've not played that maybe you'd like to yeah so the go back to the alien theme we've tried aliens another glorious day in the core not got on with it but there is another alien game called alien fate of the nostromo this is a, a co-op game again and it's it's really about that first film um, where they are just trying to get out and it's a co-op game trying to delay the alien and and, and find a way to get off the ship rather than um, necessarily trying to kill it or killing hordes of aliens like the um, another glorious day in the core does also there's been a couple of the thing games out recently and those it's not it's not a film I actually know that well but they just look really really cool they're just they look great so just be interested to to check those out for sure so they are our top three horror and halloween themed games plus some extra chat and nonsense that uh, we talked around Um, but you know we'd love to hear what you play what you think you know if you've got any recommendations for us um especially in this genre then please let us know and we'll definitely give it a go so that concludes our halloween special edition of the podcast please get in touch with us on instagram and twitter or by emailing i'm having my one at gmail.com please tell your friends about us we've been i'm having my one and make sure you have yours too i'm having my one